Aqua Lads and Aqua Lasses. You hear the tune, you know what that means. It's time for the continuing adventures of the Starman, man, 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 man. See, if I add that echo, it makes it sound cool, like it's from space or from galaxies far away, 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 away. Anywho, my name is Johnny C., and you're listening to Starman here in the Aqua Cave, but you know that because you pressed play. We are continuing the journey through the list of Dave Meltzer's worst reviewed matches in the history of our sport. And what we do here on Starman is we watch the match and we take it to court. We present evidence that we encounter while viewing the match, and then we render a verdict. Is the match guilty or not guilty? of the ranking that was attributed to it by Mr. Meltzer. Folks, a special word up top. This episode is sponsored by hashtag release the Jenny cut. And I promise by the end of the episode, that will all make sense. But it is a very, very, very special episode that we're going to be bringing at you today If you're following along at home with Meltzer's list, you'll notice that we're taking a slight detour once again. Because, folks, what we're dealing with today is a match so big, once again, we find ourselves in a scenario where it's a one-match show. Now, the last time we did this, That episode was defined by three simple words, Chamber of Horrors. This episode is a little bit bigger, specifically one word bigger, because this go-around, we are dealing with King of the Road, a legendary match that one of my podcast colleagues, Ms. Jennifer Smith, who can be found over at the North-South Connection Podcast Network in a plethora of shows. She's been a great guest on some of my programs as well. We had her on the Multiverse of Fabulousness over on the North-South Connection Podcast Network, as well as WCW Must Die. She's a great person to talk to because, number one, she offers a different perspective as a individual who experienced professional wrestling from a more modern viewpoint and then sort of went back and picked things up as she was going. But also, she's a lady, and she looks at things differently than I do on that basis alone. Now, while that's certainly important, uh, I don't want to say that that's all she has to offer. Uh, I'm not saying that all she has to offer is a female perspective at all. Please. You could just punch yourself in the face if you think that that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this episode will hopefully hold a spot in her heart that is near and dear. Because the King of the Road match from Uncensored 95, it's my understanding, is her favorite wrestling match of all time. And it's my goal on this show to do this match justice and to be fair and balanced and ugh, I want to punch myself in the face yet again every time I say the words fair and balanced in a podcast. But I don't really know any other way to cut it or to put it. 
So, as you know, here on Starman, before we watch the match and present the evidence, we have to have context. Because a wise, gray-haired man who loves to promote and advertise things on his own show, and who sounds older and older every time I listen to his podcast, and whose podcast I turn off pretty frequently because every five seconds it's a commercial, and hey, I'll be right back. Hey folks, how's it going? Hey, are you looking to sell your shoes? Because I'm authorized to sell shoes in 50 states out of 51 states. And if you want to sell your shoes, just hit me up on Twitter. That's ML74 number Q-228-2. And hey, nothing wrong with being an entrepreneur and making yourself some cash. But hey, it's commercial after commercial after commercial. So Eric, easy E, bro, come on, man. Easy, ease up with the commercials and I'll listen to your show. But this episode takes us to a very dark place. You know in uh, Star Wars Episode Four, when Obi-Wan's talking to Luke and he's like, Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Well, in my life, 1995 is indeed the dark times. In 1995, I found myself on the outskirts with professional wrestling, kind of like I do now, to be honest with you. As a youth, I felt betrayed by Hulk Hogan. I also found myself ridiculously uninterested in Diesel. And so, Johnny C just straight up went dark. I, you know, wrestling was in my periphery. I kept up with, like, who the WWF champion was you know, obviously it was hard to not know that Lawrence Taylor was wrestling at WrestleMania and shit like that. But man, in terms of the week-to-week, bell-to-bell action, I couldn't be fucking bothered. And you know what? I was desperately trying to think about what I would have been into at this point in time, and I, I got no idea. Uh, to tell you the truth, I was probably spending most of the days behind locked doors because I was, let's see here, uh, 12. So yeah, pro- probably... Probably just taking care of business, uh, you know, in the dark, if you will. That's what Johnny C was up to uh, when Shawn Michaels and Diesel were putting on a three-star classic at WrestleMania. But this is not about WrestleMania, even though we're dangerously close to WrestleMania 11. This is the first ever uncensored pay-per-view brought to you by World Championship Wrestling, who was in a bit of a dark time themselves. Now, you could argue, well, Johnny, what the fuck are you talking about? Even though they weren't as popular as they would be, how could you call this a dark time? They're not even in a rebuilding. They're sort of cultivating a brand new image because, by God, they have just brought in every WWF reject or cast-off you could probably think of. And while, hey, I'm with you, that makes them a more marketable, recognizable promotion, this was also a time where those WCW stalwarts were getting cast-off Uh, and cast to the side so these WWF folks could come in and get the paydays. Now, historically, that would work out for the best, because I, of course, am a WWF slash E fan growing up, and uh, those guys would make their ways over to Connecticut. Uh, Guys like uh, Wildman Mark Marrow, the man they call Vader, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the ringmaster, and I think... Well, at least Austin did okay, but they definitely made up that 96-97 roster that led to the Attitude Era, and we thank them for that. But uh, this pay-per-view is landmark, because it's the first time that every match is going to be uncut, uncooked, and uncensored. Wait a minute, no, that's not the catchphrase. It's like, 
No rules, no fucking... You know what? I didn't look it up. I knew the thing was a raw gimmick. That's why I said it. But it's like no rules, no... uh, I don't know. I I don't care. I'm not going to look it up. It's Uncensored 95, a pay-per-view where the concept is there are no rules. Even though I think one of these matches famously ends in a disqualification. But whatever. But 1995 in itself is something that we need to consider as well. Because the world isn't like the way it is now. And the best example that I can think of that is that for entertainment purposes, okay, we were drawn to very different things. Right now, we love to look at uh, super... Well, let's look at top box office films. Movies with Tom Cruise, who is a person who doesn't act like a real human being. So we get to see something on st- on the screen that's fantastical. Or we like superheroes, like Thor or Doctor Strange. Things that can't possibly be realistic. Well, in 1995, specifically the weekend of Uncensored 1995, the number one movie in America was in the, I think, second of its three-week run. And folks, that movie was a little flick called Outbreak. A fictional yarn about a super virus that kills pretty much most people that it infects. And, uh nearly leads to an entire town being wiped off the map. Really sounds like some deep science fiction. No wonder we found it so entertaining. Moving on, the number one song in America at this time was Take a Bow the I think that's the, it's Take a Bow by Madonna. I, those are the only words I really know to the song. I mean, I've heard it a thousand times. It's just not, it doesn't really register with me. It's too bad, really, because Take a Bow was number one for like one week, and it just so happened to be the week of Uncensored. But here's what we missed out on by just one week uh, before and one week after, because I, these are the songs I'd rather talk about. The week before this, the number one song in America was creep yeah just creeping along and i do because nobody has supposed to know how so i creep you see if you know just some of the words you can say creep and then and then just kind of make the noise and it sounds like you know what you're doing after this week the number one song in america would teach us how we could conduct ourselves when Montel Jordan would let us know that this was how he did it. And perhaps we can apply that to our everyday lives. Now, movies, music, other aspects of pop culture are certainly fun to dive into, but it doesn't provide or paint an entire picture of the context that I really want to get out there into the zeitgeist. And after all, wrestling is known as the sport of kings. So how about a little sports information? Now, here is a wild and crazy story that Bobby the Brain Heenan actually talks about during the broadcast right before the match. So it might be a bit of a double up, but hear me out. This pay-per-view takes place on March 19th, 1995. Well, on March 18th, 1995, there was a baseball player named Michael Jordan. Now, this baseball player decided to retire from baseball and sign with the Chicago Bulls basketball team. Okay. Apparently, he had played a little bit, ba- a little bit of basketball before he played professional baseball, and then on the day of the pay-per-view, he made his, I guess, triumphant return to the Chicago Bulls and helped them uh, in a victory against the Indiana Pacers. 
Now, all jokes aside, this was a huge fucking moment. And I believe contributed a lot to the success of 1995's Space Jam, which was released in November, I believe, because my buddy's birthday was in November and we went to see it for his birthday. I didn't look it up, and I'm remembering that off the top of my head. So if I'm wrong, fuck it. Now, while a lot of the information and context that I try to provide to you is for entertainment purposes and to sort of put you back into that mindset of what it was like in 1995 when you were however old you were... This next piece of information, I've decided to include because when I went to the website that looks up random shit that happened on the days around the pay-per-view, this was listed, and I was fucking blown away, and it makes me want to, it makes me want to puke! However, on March 16th, 1995, the... And this has to do with the pay-per-view, because remember, this two, this two, this pay-per-view is in Tupelo, Mississippi. Alright? On March 16th, 1995, the Mississippi House of Representatives decided to get off their ass and formally abolish slavery by ratifying the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution. My fucking God. So you mean to tell me... Now look... Please keep a context everything I'm about to say. I believe the 13th Amendment was like 1865. Just That's just off the top of my asshole, okay? Now, I... And I'm doing the finger quotes thing here. Please understand that. I understand, based on the geopolitical outlook of the country at the time, it at least makes logical sense why Mississippi probably didn't contribute to the ratification of the amendment when it was introduced. I get that from a geopolitical standpoint, okay? I'm not saying it's right. You know, if you're a student of quote-unquote history, it at least gels up with the fact that, well, of course they probably didn't ratify because they're probably pissed off. And fuck them. But that's not the point. However, it wasn't until 1995 that they actually passed a vote to formally uh, ratify the amendment and and be represented amongst the states that accepted the 13th Amendment into their livelihood. And to make matters worse... They voted on this on March 16th, 1995. The resolution formally passed. They didn't even fucking report it until 2013. When one of the members of the US, of the Mississippi House of Representatives went to see the Steven Spielberg flick Lincoln and realized, oh shit, we still haven't ratified this some bitch. And then he looked and saw they, they did pass a vote in 95, but they never sent the results in. I mean, what the fuck? Can you imagine if you spent your $1.49 per minute on the WCW hotline to vote for, like, manager of the year, and then you found out years later that your results weren't actually counted in the vote? Well, what the fuck? Missy Hyatt probably would have won. And, you know, I don't mean to make a joke. <laughs> well, I think a joke helps break the, helps, uh, you know, add some levity to the scenario, but good lord. Mississippi. What the fuck? And, you know, to this date, it makes sense that Mississippi remains the most poverty-stricken state in the Union. And I say that's fitting. And they're also ranked 43rd in education. But I guess I shouldn't throw so much shade at that because my state's 34th. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do indeed? But that's the historical context, okay? Now, this match is the first match on the pay-per-view. So we're going to dive right into this pay-per-view and how it starts and and what it looks and feels like. And then we're going to talk about what the fuck a King of the Road match actually is. I want to paint a very vivid picture. And then the main event, the evidence. Now, the pay-per-view itself 
begins with one of the absolute worst video packages I've ever seen. It is very 1995. It's a lot of clips of wrestling matches put together with like these paper mache cutouts like a crazy person who's cutting letters out of a newspaper to make an entire sentence like, I love you, Jodie Foster, or something like that. But it says, King of the Road match, strap match, martial arts match, and things like that. It should be noted also that the entire video package has card subject to change plastered at the very bottom. So this is literally just one of the fucking commercials they would send out to like the preview channel to run like every five minutes. And that's their opening video package. You can do better, WCW. You're owned by Turner Broadcasting, for God's sakes. But nonetheless, the pay-per-view video ends and we are in a uh, very tiny Tupelo, Mississippi uh, stadium or arena or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And we're greeted with three men standing on the entrance ramp in various form of formal wear. It's Tony, Bobby, and Mike. Now you might say to yourself, well, that's Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Mike Tanay. But because it's uncensored, their name cards just say Tony, Bobby, and Mike. You see, it's 1995 and it's uncensored, so we're hardcore. No last names here. Uh, Very Poochie-like, in my opinion, as well. Bobby the Brain says that this is the most important week in sports history. And he's not just using hyperbole. He presents evidence to his case, much like we do here on Starman. He says that Michael Jordan is back. Tonight is uncensored, the pay-per-view. And in six days... Mike Tyson gets released from prison. Now, I was blown away by Bobby saying this. I thought for sure when he said, in six days, Mike Tyson, I thought he was going to say, was going to have his return match with Peter McNeely, because I remember that, because I got it on pay-per-view, and it was a beatdown of epic proportions. But he's just hyping the fact that he's getting out of prison. Well, Bobby, why don't we talk about why he was in prison? Maybe that's uh, something you want to get over to your family-friendly 1995 pay-per-view audience. I also love here that as they continue to ramble on, Mike Tanay, who's definitely in his infancy here, looks like a complete bitch because he doesn't have a microphone of his own. And longtime listeners of Johnny C podcasts, especially WCW Must Die, know that I hate that restater, Mike Tanay. Bobby lets us know that tonight, Ric Flair and Van Vader will end Hulkamania. Tony Schiavone chimes in, Well, Brain, don't forget about Hogan's ultimate surprise, the Renegade. Yes, the Renegade is here tonight, folks. As they continue to talk about Hulk Hogan, they wonder about the whereabouts of Jimmy Hart. I did a little bit of research, and apparently he had been kidnapped. Now, folks, I'm going to go into a detail here. I'm going to dive deep, and please follow along with me. They're talking about Hulkamania, the Renegade, Vader, all this shit. And we cut to the video footage where Hulk Hogan introduced the Renegade to the world. Now, the announcers are talking over this video, okay? So the video has no sound of its own, all right? Now, we know that a television is a square. So imagine a blank television screen, and we're going to cut it in half, okay? On the left side of your screen is a 1995 Hulk Hogan. What I mean by that is he's very skinny and very clearly off of the juice. He's yelling and screaming in the entranceway to a wrestling arena, okay? Now, keep in mind, we can't hear him. 
He's flailing his hands around a lot and shaking his head and convulsing his body and basically cutting a Hulk Hogan promo. Now, in the middle of the screen is smoke or fog, clearly produced by a fog machine at the arena. So, left side's all tiny Hogan, the middle is smoke, and on the right side of the screen, ladies and gentlemen, is the renegade. And he's standing completely still, wearing a fanny pack and black wrestling trunks, and that is it. So he kind of looks like a stripper with just a fanny pack covering his dick. Now the Renegade is standing behind Hulk Hogan, okay? Now if you know anything about Force Perspective, think the Lord of the Rings. This makes the Renegade appear higher up on the television screen and larger than life, looming over Hulk Hogan. And if you look at this television screen just the right way, it looks like Hogan is cutting an insane wrestling promo, but the smoke kind of looks like a thought bubble from a comic book, or like the wavy lines that happen on a TV show when you're having a flashback. So it looks like he's cutting a wrestling promo, but he's really thinking about or dreaming about the chiseled, barely-dressed renegade as he's talking about something else. So he's like, you know something, dudes? Tonight at Uncensored, I'm going to rub 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 And he's thinking, oh, renegade. Oh, look at the pie. Look at the pythons on a renegade, dude. Look at those biceps. They're like titties. I'm going to rub them. I'm going to shoot my Hogan spunk all over. Oh, my God, Johnny C., what are you thinking, dude? But, hey, I, 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 I can't help myself. I looked at this screen, and I thought, my God, This is one of the funniest things in the history of ever, and I hope I can get the point across to the listening audience. Now, I'm going to post a picture of this on my Twitter feed at the Johnny C. That's T-H-E, the, Johnny, J-O-N-N-I-E, and then S-E-A, like the body of water. Please take a look at it. It will be worth your time, I promise. They decide to banish Mike Tanay back to the hotline. He's not going to be contributing to the play-by-play on this evening. But before they banish him, Tony lets us know it is a night of firsts. It's the first ever uncensored pay-per-view spectacular. It's the first ever King of the Road match tonight. And for the first time in the history of our sport, the first minute on the WCW hotline is free tonight. They banish Mike Tanay to the back. And there is a video wall behind Bobby and Tony. Out of nowhere, the video wall dissolves into the beginning of the King of the Road match. We see Dustin Rhodes on the tiny video wall, and he's running from the bully of Blacktop. Apparently, these men were caged during the pre-show and set loose in the flatbed of an 18-wheeler once the show started. Now that sounds about right, considering that we now know more about the history of Mississippi. I'm sure they were more than happy to get a couple of innocent folks behind bars so they could quote-unquote own them! Once again, what the fuck, Mississippi. Tony lets us know before we dissolve to the match proper that the object is to blow the horn that is hooked on the top of the truck. Now, pause. What the fuck is a King of the Road match? Now, I want to dive into what the King of the Road match is, folks, because I want to paint a picture 
of what I see on screen when presenting the evidence. Because if I don't paint a picture, I could see the evidence portion lasting for like six days because this match is really fucking something. So the King of the Road match is basically an early example of a cinematic match. Now I mean that wholeheartedly. Now I love cinematic matches. The final deletion, is that what it was called? The Like the original one where... You know, Jeff Hardy's on the dirt bike and the fucking Vanguard 1 flies up and it's like, Brother Nero, I will delete you! And, you know, they fight in the Lake of Regeneration and they, you know, what have you. Like, and he drives the lawnmower and the senior, oh God, what senior? I forget. I haven't watched it in years. But, and I also like the Boneyard match as well. And I really dug the Bray Wyatt John Cena thing because, you know, they're. And, and obviously the COVID times were awful and I don't want to remember it or anything like that, but it's real and if we ignore it, that makes it worse. But, you know, I know they were forced into doing these cinematic matches, but I mean, I really think with given the right proper setup and the right mind behind the wheel or behind the camera, it's a really cool concept, okay? So this cinematic match, as I'd mentioned, takes place on a flatbed of an 18-wheeler. So an 18-wheeler is a big semi-truck. And look, I'm no trucking expert. I'm just trying to paint a picture. And the flatbed is attached to the semi-truck. Now, this semi-truck is driving during this entire match. And, of course, a flatbed is flat and there's no walls. So they've erected posts around the flatbed and basically created a quote-unquote steel cage environment using fencing. And they've covered the flatbed with hay and I mean a lot of hay to obviously make it a safer environment to work in but it's also not leveled and unbalanced there's some areas of the hay that are higher up lower down and basically it's very difficult to walk in near the front of the flatbed where it connects to the semi truck is a horn suspended in the air on a pipe or a fucking overlay I don't know what the fuck you want to call it and to win the match, you have to, you know, give it a little gazoom and, and pull the horn and make it, you know, like when you're in a, a car and, and, and the truck drives by and you do the little hand sign, like, come on, blow your horn, bro. I really want to hear it. That's how you win the match. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how this bad boy was filmed because that's going to inform a larger portion of this discussion because this match, much like the original cut of the Justice League film, was cut to shit by the directors here at WCW, and that's why we need to release the Jenny cut, because we did release the Snyder cut, after all, which is a whole other fucking podcast. Let's talk about how this thing was filmed, okay? Now, we all know that this pay-per-view took place in Mississippi, as has been well documented, and uh, this King of the Road match, however, was actually filmed in the Atlanta area. I believe it was like the rural area that surrounds Atlanta, and I don't have the exact roads that it was shot on. Although, if someone does know them, I would love to fucking drive the King of the Road path at some point in my life before I die. That sounds like a vacation destination I can get behind. But as I said, just like Justice League, this match is famously cut to shit. And the reason for that is... Blood! And I'm not talking about the blood of the All-Dad. I'm talking about the blood of Dustin Rhodes and the Blacktop Bully. Because both of these guys end up blading during this match. And that was a huge no-no in WCW at the time. 
Now, WCW had already hyped the match, promised the match, paid for the match, which we will discuss why it was so expensive, of course. And uh, because of this blood, you know, they had to sort of cut around it with the shots that they had. I don't know how much footage they actually have. Of I mean, I would imagine a lot. They have a lot of footage of this thing sitting around, and they cut it into like a 12-minute presentation. But uh, they use... Well, well, we'll talk about that when we talk about the cameras, okay? But Dustin Rhodes and the Blacktop Bully would both be fired after this match was done being filmed and edited together. This, of course, leads to the formation of Gold Dust as Dustin Rhodes goes to WWF, and fitting that he would be obsessed with movies because a cinematic match led to his exit from WCW, and of course the Blacktop Bully would be, well, out on his ass until he picked up the game of golf later on and became hole-in-one Barry Darso. Um, now, I should also point out that if I haven't mentioned it yet, I can't remember, Blacktop Bully is fucking the Repo Man. All right, or Smash from Demolition. But what I love about this blacktop bully is that he, he wrestles in like a red cutoff shirt. It kind of looks like he's, he fucking repossessed the Mounties wardrobe. And I, I don't know, that's always made me chuckle. But why is this match happening? I guess we'll talk about that before we get into the camera setup. It's So Dustin Rhodes has been feuding with the Stud Stable since 1994. And like the Stud Stable is the group of wrestlers that are controlled by Colonel Rob Parker. Oh, I'm Colonel Rob Parker, a.k.a. Tennessee Lee. And I've got 11 herbs and spices to take out the Dustin Rhodes and his no good fat dad Dustin Rhodes. Ah, oh, excuse me. It's getting a little hot under the saddle here. I need to fan myself and look for some ways to cool down. Hey, Terra Funk, get me some iced tea because I'm getting a little hot under the sheets. Did I make under the sheets that I got a huge cock? Ladies, come on and see what we can do with my cock a doodle doo So yeah, that's Colonel Rob Parker. He's got like Arn Anderson, the Blacktop Bully, um, a stud guy. Who's the fucking stud guy? Terry Funk. Who's the stud? There's a... I don't know. There's a goddamn stud. There's a guy that was stud in his name. I can't even fucking recall. Who cares? Um, but... Around the end of November slash early December, there was an episode of WCW television where Dustin Rhodes was attacked by a fan. I'm doing the finger quotes thing here, which was just the blacktop bully. Now, Colonel Rob Parker was so impressed by this man beating the shit out of Dustin Rhodes that he would bail him out of jail and make him an official member of the stud stable, hence the blacktop bully. And that's and I guess since he's the, the bully of the blacktop being the road, I guess that's why they're having this king of the road encounter. Now we talked about what the concept of the king of the road match is with the haystacks and the flatbed and the truck and everything and blowing the horn and everything like that, okay? But I want to really talk about the way that this match is presented and the camera setup, because that is going to be a huge part of the evidence as I'm going to present it. So in order for you to understand that, I want to talk about the three potential views that we have of this match as it's taking place. So let's define them. If I say that something happens while we're in truck view, here's what I'm talking about. A cameraman is positioned above the flatbed in the back of the semi-truck. So this view allows us to see the entire depth of the flatbed 
as if we were in the truck watching. It's a first-person perspective, and the action moves to the forward and backward. So it, it moves away from the screen and towards the screen. Okay, and that is truck view. The next view is road view. The semi-truck does indeed have like a police escort so it can safely travel on these back roads. Now this allows for a pickup truck full of WCW technicians to follow alongside the truck in the left lane. Now if you're listening to this outside of the United States, take note, we drive on the right side of the road no matter where we're going, which means we're always driving on the right. So the left lane would be oncoming traffic. There is no oncoming traffic, so this fucking truck full of WCW fucking technicians is indeed safe. Now this view is basically equivalent to a hard cam in traditional professional wrestling because it allows us to follow the action from left to right. It's not the most common view of this match I would say that's probably truck view so don't let the hard cam comparison trick you or or mess you up okay it's also fucking brilliant because the fact that this truck of technicians exists during this match it looks like that the king of the road semi is being pursued by an by a band of rednecks who are either excited or hunting dustin roads like yeah let's get him come on blacktop boy let's do it come on come on blacktop woo but that's not why they're there they're there to film the action the final view is helicopter view yes folks wcw did indeed rent a helicopter for coverage of the match. And I'm so fucking glad they did. Because when we're in helicopter view. Obviously we're up top in the sky. In a helicopter like it's a goddamn news broadcast. But we get to see the entire convoy. And we really get a feel for the scope and grandeur of this encounter. Insert your own comments here. It also plays a pivotal role in the match structure itself because it allows us to better understand the movements of the semi-truck. There are portions of this match where the road or the semi-truck directly influence the action. So if Dustin Rhodes is punching the blacktop bully, you would say he's in control. The only way for the blacktop bully to get in control is to get on offense and counter and fight back. But the road and truck movements actually play a role here. Maybe it's a sharp turn, etc., etc. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But switching to helicopter view really allows us to understand what's happening. And look, I present all this information, and let's get something abundantly clear. Whether or not you or I agree with this match even happening, whether it's a good idea, a bad idea, whatever, it's important that we understand the potentiality of what is at our fingertips and how it is presented to us, okay? And that's why I'm talking so heavily about the movements of the truck. It's a part of the narrative, all right? Now, moving forward, as I present evidence, I will try to include the point of view that we're in so it paints a better mental picture. So remember, truck view, road view, and copter view. Now, that's not the only unique setup to this match's execution. There is also the commentary. 
So here on Starman, I always mention when funny shit happens on commentary. Now, why do I do this? I do that to make a, to make the fucking podcast more fun to listen to. Plus, I think a lot of the shit that they say is just hilarious. But ultimately, in the end, it does not affect the verdict that's given to the match, whether it's guilty or not guilty, okay? And that's because matches exist in their television form and in their real-life form. If you're sitting in the crowd, you know, you don't hear the commentary. You just have the the art and the work done by the athletes involved to paint your star ranking, okay? However, this match, as I mentioned, is different. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan called this match on house mics while standing in the rampway of the uncensored arena. That means that the commentary is heard by all who experience this match. Now, of course, no one experienced this match <clears throat> live and in person, aside from the people filming it. But if you want to consider the fact that the arena people, the folks at Uncensored, would be the ones that experience it live, they're experiencing it the same way we are at home, on a TV screen with Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan leading us along the way. And in its current form, that's the only way to experience this match, with the commentary. I suppose you could make an argument that I could should put it on mute in order to understand what it felt like in the arena, but that is not what it felt like in the arena. And it's so glorious, because as a huge fan of like Mystery Science Theater 3000, their commentary, because they're commentating about something that isn't actually live, they're just watching a movie and talking about it, it really gives it that Mystery Science Theater kitschy feel, if you're into that sort of thing. And there's no way to separate the commentary from the verdict, folks. It's not happening. It's going to be included. So so how do you like me now? As a Royal Rumble extraordinaire participant, Hardcore Hollywood say, shout out to JT and Aaron over at the North South Connection Podcast Network for having to survive Hardcore Holly's Royal Rumble run. That's a side note and it means nothing, but I wanted to throw that in there. And I think, guys, that that's going to do it. That is all the fucking context I can properly give you. We understand the time period. We understand Mississippi a little bit better, unfortunately. We know what it felt like when the pay-per-view was brought to us live, okay? We know that Hulk Hogan dreams about the Renegade, dude. <laughs> Renegade, make sure you come to the locker room after the match, dude. I need to help. I need to help you, uh, uh ice my cinnamon rolls we need some icing dude and we need to produce it with your using using your tits as the as the fucking canvas dude <laughs> it's not funny oh hulk hogan dreaming of the renegades an all-time experience that i'm pulling from the king of the road but let's focus i hear the judge is banging his gavel so finally after like 40 minutes probably we need order in the court for the case of Dustin Rhodes, the natural, the son of a son, versus the black top bully and the first and only king of the road match. All right, folks, the match is underway, and immediately I have to cop to something that I forgot, and I feel really stupid for forgetting it, but there is a fourth view. Now, it's the same as truck view, but there is a just a steady static camera mounted to a pole directly across from truck view. Okay? It's at the other end of the flatbed. So if the truck view looks, you know, f- has depth, 
from uh, forward to backwards. This steady cam is just the opposite of that, and you can actually see the individuals that are filming truck view when we're in this view. So that way, we have front coverage by the horn and back coverage in case they want to fight in the back. Now, that being said, let's roll. We start in truck view. As they've been released from their cages, I guess, because we never get a clear shot of that, Dustin Rhodes races towards the horde. Uh, and he goes to jump for it, but realizes he can't. It's just too high up, and he will have to make the climb. He has a head start on the blacktop bully, but the bully chases him slowly because of the unbalanced ground that's covered in hay and because the truck is moving. Now, even though I might be saying this with a little bit of silly tongue-in-cheek inflection, I mean this next point wholeheartedly. We're about six seconds into this match, and they've, <clears throat> excuse me, they've already established three rules of this world. Now, look, if you, if you want to look at this seriously, which is something I intend to do, and point out the humorous along the way, but look at this seriously, we sort of know the rules of a wrestling match, okay? If, if Superman and Batman are fighting, we know that Batman's not going to just fly and take off and head from Metropolis to Gotham, because Batman can't fly. That's a rule of that world, okay? If we're in a wrestling ring, we know that the referee's not going to call for the bell at a one count, because that's not the rules of a wrestling match. Now, that's a literal rule, but I'm talking about like sort of the rules that we have to live in to believe that this is an actual contest, okay? So the three rules they've established are, one, you absolutely cannot reach the horn unless you climb, and that's the win condition, so we set up that there's going to be some climbing to get to the win condition. We know that the blacktop bully could not catch up with Dustin. Now, I don't care who's faster in a foot race on an even playing field on some blacktop. Well, probably the blacktop bully is going to win a blacktop race. But hear me out here. We've established that the bully can't catch up with Dustin because the hay makes it ridiculously hard to move in. You can't just run through piles of hay. And there is very little balance in this truck because of the movement. So we've established some rules right away. And whether or not you agree that it's that those are good rules, they are established by the competitors from the get-go. Dustin immediately slips on some hay bales, and then he attempts to climb the, the fencing slash pole that leads to the horn, but Dustin's, like, entire body, arms, legs, and torso are wrapped around this fencing. It's hilarious. He looks like a five-year-old who's trying to convince his parents that he's Spider-Man. And the parents are like, Dusty, Dustin, you're not Spider-Man, dude. You can't climb the walls. And he's like, bullshit! And he's like a five- Imagine a five-year-old legitimately trying to climb the wall like Spider-Man and being like, eh, eh, eh. Like trying to climb and sliding down. That's what Dustin looks like. The blacktop bully finally catches up, yanks Dustin from this hugging the fence scenario, and then, because momentum rules, the blacktop bully falls directly on his ass. The brain tries to cut these guys a little slack by equating this to trying to move in an airplane as it's taking off, which is something I've never done. But I'm imagining like a naked gun style of movie with Bobby the Brain trying to get the flight attendant's assist, uh, uh, attention so we can get a drink before they take off and being like, Stewardess! Stewardess! And then, you know, the plane takes off and he's like, Whoa! 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 Tony notes that they are way outside of Tupelo, Mississippi for security reasons. 
I don't know if these are the same security reasons that moved WrestleMania 7 from the L.A. Memorial Coliseum to the arena. But nonetheless, this is the first of some great, I'm going to call them judgment calls or on-the-fly remarks that Tony Schiavone will be making during this match. We're in truck view now, and Bully, that being the blacktop Bully, throws Dustin into the area where the car horn is, like into the steel. And Dustin Rhodes blades off camera. Okay? There's a great Easter egg here, if you're one of those folks that's looking for Easter eggs in movies or cinematic matches, because the name or the brand of the flatbed is Dorsey. And we see this word Dorsey a billion times throughout this match. Now that sounds dangerously close to Darso, which of course is the Blacktop Bully's last name. And since Blacktop Bully, because he is the bully of the Blacktop, is sort of the king of the road, I like this. I think it's a fun little Easter egg. This isn't fair! Dustin feels right at home with all the hay and manure in that truck! Dustin is now coming towards us, and we're in the steady cam view, and we can see that Dustin, after getting thrown into the bed, is checking his head for blood, or making sure that his blade job was worth it, I guess. Bully attempts a pursuit, but falls over into the hay. We switch into copter view now, and this copter shot shows us the blacktop bully pushing Dustin into the livestock wire, as Tony Schiavone called it, that forms the barrier of protection or the cocoon around the flatbed. Now, since we are so high up, we get to see that the blacktop bully falls on his face now after he pushes Dustin Rhodes because of all the momentum and effort he has to exert to push Dustin. Well... (laughs) Once Dustin goes forward and Bully ain't got nothing to hold on to, he's fallen down as well. It's got to smell like Dusty Rhodes' living room in that truck, Tony. (laughs) Weird moment now as we're in the road view looking in, and we switch back to the copter view for a copter shot, but then we switch back to road view, and the camera is just looking at the helicopter. And Tony Schiavone's like, Wonderful helicopter coverage here for this match, Bobby the Brain Heenan. It's clearly an attempt by WCW to flex. Like, hey, we got a helicopter. Do you have a helicopter? We're we're back in truck view now, and the blacktop bully is all alone by the horn. Now, he attempts to jump and, you know, blow the horn, but he's got really tiny jumps. So obviously he's not going to reach it. Now this, again, makes sense within the rules of the match. Because if you remember, when the you-are-going-to-have-to-climb rule was established, that was Dustin Rhodes' first attempt to blow the horn. Well, this is the first time in the match that the blacktop bully has had an opportunity to go for the win condition. And this is his moment of learning that he is going to have to climb. Now, for some reason, Dustin Rhodes is all the way in the back of the truck by the Steadicam, and he's climbing this chicken wire fence as well. This confused me, and I think it confused the brain, too, because he says, Is he leaving? Dustin, however, climbs down, realizing that there is no logical reason for him attempt to climb from the back of the truck and then work his way via the poles to get to the horn. It's just not going to work. It's not going to be feasible or possible. There's a crazy moment here, though, as Dustin's doing this. If you look at the right-hand side of your television screen or your phone or whatever the fuck you're watching it on, you will see that some hot rodden son of a bitch from Georgia is driving 
around the convoy through the grass slash field that is around the road. Clearly not having the patience to wait for the King of the Road match to leave his area so he could get to fucking White Castle or whatever the fuck he's doing. Uh, some good copter footage of Dustin Rhodes closing the gap between himself and the blacktop bully. Now, Tony says he has something in his hand, but we can't see what it is, again, because it's the copter shot, and that's okay. I have no problem with that. We cut to the truck view as Bully is attempting to climb, and Dustin, from the heart of hell, stabs right at the Bully like he's goddamn Captain Ahab because he's carrying a fence post. I don't know where he got it, but... He fucking stabs the bully square. And immediately after he hits the blacktop bully, again, momentum, he falls right on his ass and drops the pole. Not on purpose, but because, well, he has to, because those are the laws of the planet in which we reside. We switch to Steadicam now. Dustin Rhodes picks the blacktop bully up off of the hay and hits a pile driver in the back of the flatbed while it's moving, but landing softly on the piles of hay. Two big things I want to point out about this pile driver spot. Number one, and I mean this, I am impressed that they were able to do this. You know, lifting the blacktop bully and the blacktop bully assisting in this living and then, you know, getting his body vertical, uh, perpendicular from his own, if those are the right geometrical terms, I don't fucking know. And then executing the pile driver was probably pretty difficult while, you know, standing up in this truck. Number two, it looks like absolute shit because wrestling moves really only work in a wrestling ring or at least an arena. And plus the hay is just the cushionest of cushions to land on. In the copter view now, both men get to their feet at the same time after this pile driver, which, well, is a little business exposing. I'm sorry. Speaking of business exposing, if I didn't mention this before, when they're in copter view, sometimes they're moving really quick. And it looks kind of nice. But like, especially when they were getting just getting started and you can sort of hear the engine idling, it was business exposing as well. Business exposing, meaning that Tony Schiavone's yelling things like, They're traveling at 55 miles per hour! But, you know, they're, they're clearly not. Anyway, after they both get to their feet, Dustin leaps up into the air and grabs onto one of the posts that holds the horde. And he swings himself forward like goddamn Tarzan and kicks the bully over a railing in the truck. Tony Schiavone loses it at this point and goes, The bully! Like he's saying, bully! But he's like, the bully! Over the steel railing! Now, at this moment, Dustin Rhodes makes an uncalculated choice and starts throwing hay at the blacktop bully. Now, I could see this if he was throwing bales of hay, but the man is literally throwing individual pieces of hay at the blacktop bully. I don't know if he's just had it up to here with the blacktop bully and his antics, or if he's just fucking concussed, or just an idiot, but it's obvious that number one, throwing a piece of hay at someone, number one, it's probably not going to hit him, number two, it's not going to hurt, and number three, we're in copter view, but I wish we weren't, because if we were not, we could probably see that, my third point being, if you throw a piece of hay at the bully while you're driving, the hay's just going to fly back in your face, right? Bobby the Brain Heenan breaks this scenario up, though, and says, What would happen if the door to this truck would come open? These guys would be all over the road. Dustin Rhodes would bounce all the way from Mississippi to Austin, Texas. <laughs> Which, I suppose that's possible, Brain. But 
honestly, guys, we're only like four minutes into this entire fucking match, and so far, it's a fucking piece of work, let me tell ya. We pick up the pace in truck view now in one of my favorite moments. The blacktop bully is seated on the hay, and Dustin Rhodes is looking around. He doesn't quite know what to do. Finally, he grabs an entire bale of hay. He is indeed learning. Dustin Rhodes is a little bit like the Terminator. He's a learning computer. Uh, a, a bale of hay is going to be much more effective than a single piece. He slams the bale of hay down on the blacktop bully's head, and Tony Schiavone makes a sound on commentary like this. Mm. Now, I have no idea what emotion Tony Giovanni is trying to convey, but here's my theory. When Dusted lifted the bale of hay up above his own head, Tony got really excited because on commentary he's like, Dustin Rhodes, what the hay? And then he pauses to let Dustin slam the hay down for impact. And when he sees how weak the impact actually was. He knows that he can't sell it as a devastating maneuver, so he goes with mmm. <laughs> God. To top it all off, as he's making this sound, Dustin Rhodes completely just falls on his ass. It's like slam. Mm. Oh. <laughs> That's a 70 pound bill of hay the man just got hit with, says Bobby Heaton. We head to copter view now, and the copter view sort of zooms out very slowly, and we get a nice casual view of the countryside. And this shot just lingers, and it's it's weird. It's quite serene. You would forget the two men are beating the piss out of one another in the back of a flatbed. Bobby brings us back to reality by saying, Somebody's got to blow that horn! In copter view still, and the blacktop bully hits a goddamn suplex! But, you know, we're in copter view, so we can barely see it. Tony Schiavone, though, is laying down some breadcrumbs. He's setting up that soon, based on the road, there will be some twists and turns to navigate. Perhaps even some stop signs on the roads ahead. In regards to these possible road hazards, Bobby offers, What, what if they have to stop and pay a toll? What if they have to have the truck wait? I don't know what truck drivers do, Tony! <laughs> Back in truck view now, and somehow, the blacktop bully has found himself some hanging rope. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it was in the truck the entire time. Or maybe the guys who are filming from the road gave it to him like, Yeehaw, bully, you see us! More copter coverage now, and it's clear. Clear as day that we are now uh, getting a little blood shy. Because road view would show us the blacktop bully sort of choking out Dustin Rhodes. And it would show you'd have to see their faces and their gushing blood. Okay? And truck view would be absolutely worthless at this point because you couldn't really see what they're doing. It would honestly look like the blacktop, bu the blacktop bully is hump-fucking Dustin Rhodes because he's behind him, like, thrusting, with the pretending to choke him with rope. So there's no other angle to go to if you're blood-shy. This whole sequence, all this weird cop copter coverage that we're getting, is evidence that we absolutely need to hashtag release the Jenny Cut. Let us see the full match footage. As this choke continues, Tony offers, It's sound strategy, Brain. You have to wear your put-it-down to the point to where he cannot defend against your attempt to get the horn. Now, that is sound logic, but it's also insane if you think about what he's actually saying. We finally 
get back into truck view, I don't know where the rope is, but Dustin Rhodes has some sort of jug-type container. He hurls the jug forward, and Liquid assaults the blacktop bully. Now, Bobby the Brain is completely disheveled by this revelation, and he's like, What is this now, gasoline? Now, we come to a point in the match where there's some great storytelling. We once again zoom out to copter view, and the truck has come to a crossroads. They can either keep going straight or turn. The truck runs a stop sign and turns right. We cut to a camera, unbeknownst to us until this moment, inside the cab of the truck, as Large Marge herself turns the wheel with a snicker. <laughs> it's a legitimately missed opportunity for the driver to turn around and spike the camera and be like, Hey, Nyastinka, as they make this deadly turn, thus making it more difficult for the individuals attempting to have a wrestling match to stand up. Bobby says, They just ran a stop sign! Citizens arrest! Citizens arrest! And folks, I understand that reference. Because one day, when I was waiting for 6.05 p.m. Eastern to happen, I happened to see the episode of Andy Griffith where Gomer Pyle attempts his finishing maneuver, the citizen's arrest, on Barney Fife. It is a ridiculous episode, but I'm really glad that I've seen it. Citizen's arrest! Citizen's arrest! Immediately cut back to truck view, and Dustin has climbed, and we join him, and he's super close to blowing the horn! However, for reasons unknown, he immediately slips and falls. And it's hilarious because I don't think it was a planned slip and fall because he desperately tries to grab onto something to break his fall. Tony tries desperately to blame this unexpected fall on the turn. But the incidents were clearly not filmed at the same time because if you look behind Dustin as he's falling and after he's fallen, there are nothing but straight roads in view. We switch to the steady cam view now as the blacktop bully grabs the fence post and walks slowly towards Dustin Rhodes after he's fallen, of course. However, Dustin Rhodes shoots up and with all the grace of a first grader that's angry that his friend won't share with him, he tackles the blacktop bully and they fly over a railing. Seriously, guys, the only thing missing here is the goddamn Benny Hill music because Dustin's legs kind of dangle and flail as they hang in the air as they fall over. It's glorious. You just need... We finally transition back to Roadview. Dustin hits the black the blacktop bully, excuse me, with a belly-to-back suplex, believe it or not. However, the soft landing on the hay is really quite business-exposing, so much that when Tony Schiavone makes the call, it sounds like this. Picking him up! They land. Oh my, it's a belly-to-back suplex. Bobby the Brain Heen kind of sounds a little sad at this point, and he's like, what a fight you're seeing at 55 miles per hour. He then takes a beat, cheers up, it is like, you know, if I was driving, I'd crank her up to about 130. Still in road view, poor Dustin Rhodes attempts just to walk. Mm, difficult for both men to stand up, Bobby. Dustin on cue face plants. The poor guy is literally just trying to fucking walk. They decide to take a timeout, I guess, as Dustin walks to the back of the truck and the bully goes towards the front and the blacktop bully starts to make the climb. He's all the way up on the railing now. 
He pantomimes as if he's losing his balance. The truck is slowing down! And the blacktop bully flips off of the rail completely, feet once again in the air. We head to a copter view now, and we get the shot of a beautiful sunset. You know, it's quite a transition if you really think about it. A grown-ass man pretending to slip and fall, and then a beautiful country sunset. This view, however, is not just for the sake of beauty. In the distance, we can see that the road dead ends into a ridiculously sharp right turn. Like it's a legitimate like turning at a full 90 degree angle. They make the turn. We cut to the steady cam. The bully is again standing on the back of this railing. The truck turns and the bully sacrifices himself for our entertainment by comically slamming himself into the fencing. Dustin is just trying to walk at this point. He's not even doing a spot, and he too just gets slammed into the fence as well. Oh, Shivani, I've seen Dusty walk like that before. Now Dustin has some sort of a milk crate and slowly marches towards his nemesis. No one's making an effort to blow that horn. Dustin smashes the crate on the blacktop bully as both men collapse. We're in truck view now. The men rise. The blacktop bully charges. Dustin just takes a step to the side and ole! The bully, much like a charging bull, comically flips over the railing yet again with his boots dangling in the air. It's quite a visual. Again to the copter shot now. I kind of feel like maybe they're stalling for time here. I don't really know what the hell is going on. Now we're back to a road shot, and the blacktop bully has the milk crate. Dustin blocks the shot. He lifts the blacktop bully into the body slam position. But between the driving and the blacktop bully's weight, the, the youngster Dustin Rhodes just falls backwards, and both men topple over yet again. Tony <laughs> is just at his wit's end. Both men are very, very tired. The fucking fence post that was in the, the that's in the truck that I mentioned earlier, you know, from Hell's Heart, I Stab at Thee, that whole thing, it falls out of the truck and legitimately gets run over by the 18-wheeler. Is that Dustin's leg? Yells the brain. The blacktop bully climbs to the corner now and is legitimately close to the horn. We transition to the copter shot, you know, and you can really see that the speed has picked up at this point. Bobby is getting restless. Come on! Toot the horn! Give me one of them big oogas! Come on! Dustin pulls the bully down. We cut back to the road cam, and we get a very beautiful shot. The entire right side of the frame, as you're watching, is again a lovely sunset. And on the left side, Dustin Rhodes is laying the boots of a blacktop bully. Transitioning again to the copter shot, again, they're just they're afraid of being too close to the drippy, drippy blood, I guess. Anywho, we're in the copter, as I mentioned. The truck is now sort of clearly at a different time of day because it's bright, the sun's not setting, it is what it is. But in this copter shot, we see that the entire convoy drives past some manufactured homes. Now, for those of you not in the property management business, those are some trailers. Oh, there's the beautiful section of Tupelo there. 18 house trailers. Must be condos, huh? Easy brain. Mississippi condos. You just saw where Elvis lives and his 14 brother-in-laws. Steadicam now. 
Dustin makes the climb, heading towards the Uga. But the brain just can't let this gag go. You notice there are only 13 cars up on Block Shivani. Onto the road cam now. That's the dangerous view with the blood. And the bully beats up on Dustin. Uh, again, though, too much blood, as I'd mentioned, because we're back to the copter shot. Now, as we're in the copter, I will say there's once again a beautiful shot of someone's farm. It seems like a very nice farm, a nice plot of land. Not a bad place to, uh, you know, lay your head at night. That's the downtown area of Tupelo, Shivani! <laughs> Back to the steady cam, and the bully is climbing yet again. Dustin is slowly walking, and he's dragging a trough! Seriously, guys, where are these fucking props coming from? Oh, that's what Dustin and his dad eat out of, Tony! Dustin lightly throws this trough onto the bully, and there's, like, hay in it. And <laughs> you can, I think some even get to the bully's mouth. I kind of feel bad for him. Bobby's all like, you know what was in that trough? Metal muffins! I, I don't understand that joke. I'm sorry, I don't. Back to the road cam, but this is the first of its kind, because the road cam is actually behind the truck, and we see the brakes being pressed. The truck is slowing down. We can see that there's an active intersection up ahead. There is a cop car there to, like, lead the convoy, but he's not blocking traffic. Back to the steady cam inside the truck now, and the blacktop bully is out cold but leaning on the fence. Dustin has a clear shot at the horn, <laughs> but like a fucking child, he's just jumping in place like a frustrated little kid trying to get the horn. He keeps trying, even though you can clearly tell that he knows it's a lost cause. His final effort results in him falling onto his face and flailing and stomping on the ground in anger. The truck is now at a complete stop. I don't know what's happening. Thank God Tony Schiavone is here. Fans, we're being told now that we are being stopped by a church bus. Is this correct? He takes a pause. Oh, okay, a church bus. Well, Dustin better climb out of here, start praying, and get on that bus, Shivani. Back in the truck cabin cam, we are legitimately stopped. We can see the truck driver waiting, just munching on a snack. We cut back to the true truck cam, and the blacktop bully has climbed all the way to the top and is inches from the horn. Heading to the copter shot now, as a yellow school bus legitimately drives through the intersection. After the bus exits the scene, the truck starts to move when, oh my god, there is static on the video feed. What is happening? Tony says, wait a minute. We cut back to the steady cam. Dustin is leaning on the fence, and somehow the blacktop bully is dead on the pole from which he was hanging. Oh, some microwave interference, brain. Are we down, Tony? No, no, just some microwave interference. All right, we'll go with that. The truck makes a big right turn, and the bully is still dead. Into the truck cam now. Dustin uses the post to hang, and he starts dangle-kicking the blacktop bully. So, you know, he's like dangling from the pole, and he's lifting his legs and kicking the bully. Like I mentioned, though, the blacktop bully is just completely out of it. Technically, the blacktop bully is crotched on the top of these poles, okay? Meaning that his dick is on the pole and his legs are dangling, but it's not like his, his you know, he's not like crotched crotched. He's just kind of laying there like, Ugh. So Dustin, <laughs> it's as if they should have added a light bulb popping over, light bulb popping over his head in post-production. He grabs the right leg of the blacktop bully. 
he gently pulls it, and the blacktop bully folks, well, he's now sterile. He is comedically selling trauma directly to his dick. He starts yelling, and it sounds like an engine revving up. He's like, oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Still in the truck view now, the blacktop bully is holding on for dear life. Dustin has climbed up now and is behind him. The bully kicks him with tiny kicks in defense. Back to the copter now, and folks, this is the money shot. And I ain't talking about Val Venus. The camera sweeps in the helicopter. We're flying around and swooping, and both men are hanging and desperately punch, 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 punch. You can see the road cam truck is very close to the big rig. And honestly, as we're still in the copter shot and these guys are punching one another with the actual pickup truck close to them, I swear to you, if this match were to contain a spot that would involve one of these guys being thrown from the rig into the bed of truck and having the crewmen catch them, this would have been the moment. Like, it's obviously a very bad idea, but this if they were ever going to do it, this was the time. They don't, and so we move on. We cut back to the road view, and I'm kind of freaked out because the blacktop bully is legitimately dangling over the edge. But, you know, back to the copter shot, just in case there's blood. And some tree branches obscure the view. So you know what, guys? I have no idea what happens here. Zero fucking clue. All I know is Tony Schiavone yells, Dustin is down! And then, some more static. <laughs> Friends, once again, some microwave interference. Well, Tony, who the fuck keeps trying to cook a burrito while we're watching the King of the Road match? Huh? Enough with the microwave interference. Anywho... The blacktop bully is now somehow down in the hay, and Dustin Rhodes is just standing there. We finally transition back to road view, which at this point is honestly the best view, but again, blood. And Dustin is standing alone. He climbs towards the ooga, but the bully yanks him down. Copter shot now, a oh, big fucking surprise. And the blacktop bully backs Dustin up to the rail. He steps backwards. He speeds toward him. Dustin ducks, and once again... Insert the Benny Hill music as the blacktop bully flips over the rail and his feet dangle in the air. Back to the truck cam and it's a race to get up. The blacktop bully has that milk jug from earlier. He throws it at Dustin and somehow there is once again a liquid inside. I do not know how. It it makes zero sense, but I'm going to go with it. And But the thing is, is that the bully can barely throw this thing, you know, because... He's in a fucking moving vehicle, but yet it, 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 it lightly taps the natural, but he still sells it like grim death. Back to a copter shot now, lest we see any blood, and the blacktop bully is all alone on top of the railing. He's made the climb. Dustin stands up, but slowly. The blacktop bully pounces as Tony Schiavone yells, The bully! The blacktop bully hits a flying fucking clothesline from the truck. We're in the road cam now, and the blacktop bully is directly below the horn. He takes a page out of young Dustin Rhodes' books and tries to jump. But of course, he can't reach it. So he climbs. And then he jumps again. No. He jumps again. No. And now Dustin climbs. So everybody is climbing. Bobby the Brain Heenan is concerned because it's starting to get dark. And this could last forever, Shivani! 
He wants to know if the WCW helicopter is legitimately equipped with a spotlight so we can continue to watch the match. I would love to know too, Brain. But we might not have to know, Bobby, because both men are inches from the horn. Dustin rakes the eyes of the blacktop bully. The bully is confused. Dustin reaches. The truck slows down. Dustin kind of falls backwards, but he steadies himself. He reaches. The bully touches Dustin's face. And I'm not sure why, but because of the touch, Dustin Rhodes flips his entire body off of the railing that they were dangling from. The blacktop bully is all alone. He reaches. Ooga! He's done it! The blacktop bully wins. He is the king of the road. Bobby the Brain Heenan alters the timeline by creating the Yes Movement. He yells, Yes! 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 The entire crowd chants, Bully! 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 Well, I made that part up. But we do cut back to the arena, and some pyro goes off for no reason. I guess they needed to wake up the crowd. And folks, the king of the road match is over. Okay. All right, let's get serious. All right, it was, it was a lot of fun, but it, but this is serious. All right. I really enjoyed watching this match the first time that I went through it. Okay? I wanted to experience it without any preconceived notions. I had seen it before, but not for a long time. And I've absolutely never watched it through a lens like this where I was trying to be critical and critique it and analyze it. Okay? So I've got some points to make. Here we go. Point number one, the match suffers. I'm doing the finger quotes thing here. It suffers from the fact that it is just not possible to do what these guys do in a fucking moving truck, okay? Now, number two, I do, believe it or not, find that the production of this match is really interesting. I mean, if you really think about it, this was quite a task to pull off. Point number three, the narrative of the match is somewhat non-existent. At points, a story kind of tries to happen, but then we just change angles and we can't fucking see anything. Point number four. I have no idea if using the bloody footage would improve that, that being the narrative. I just don't know, and I have no way of knowing. Point number five. I do know, however, that me, myself, I, I'm a massive fan of director's cuts. I'm a director's advocate. I believe in their vision first. Point number six. I can confirm that this match is not boring. Regardless of if you like this match, love this match, or you think this match is stupid, I would wager that as you're watching it, you are waiting to see what happens next. But alas, my credibility is at stake, and therefore I must render a verdict. And I think... I'm ready. Uh, counselor, please approach the bench. Whoa, Judge Jack Tunney? Are you talking to me? I am. What is it, sir? I mean, you're the judge here. I'm just, I'm just here. What do you got for me? Well, after reviewing careful paper-based documents, I have prepared a statement. If the bailiff would please hand me that statement. Thank you, Howard. I cannot in good conscience allow this trial to continue any further. The list that was provided to me 
indicated that the cases tried with Rin and Hirin would pertain to the merit of negative-based star rankings to matches of a professional wrestling basis. The King of the Road is not an event that can be viewed in this prism. It is clear to me that the blatant hate thrown at matches of this nature is a dangerous serpent that must be devenomized. And therefore, notwithstanding, the case is dismissed. Holy shit, Your Honor! Are you saying that there is no need to render a verdict on this match because there is absolutely no reason in hell to rank it like a wrestling match? Precisely. Oh, well, Your Honor, this ruling is truly a victory for all mankind. But, to again be serious, and I want you to really pay attention to what I'm going to say because I mean it wholeheartedly, even though I did the little shtick where President Jack Tunney gets me out of having to render a verdict. Because this is not a wrestling match, and it shouldn't be ranked with stars like a goddamn wrestling match. Okay? It is. It, this, there's zero reason to rank this as a wrestling match. It's a, it's a segment. It's a video. Whatever you want to call it, it's not a wrestling match. And that's okay. Okay? Because you know what it is? It's a risk. And taking a risk can be rewarding, and it can be dangerous... I guess that's why they call it a risk. But in my opinion, it is a risk that paid off. Because here we are, 27, I guess, years later, talking about this fucking ridiculous afternoon where a couple of dudes got together with the fucking WCW film crew, a helicopter pilot, Large Marge, and a goddamn church bus, okay? And they tried to make something that would be fun for us. For all of us. We, in our own lives, should all be so fucking lucky that something that we create could live on like this does, okay? And I mean that. I have heard people call this match a dumpster fire before. And you know what? I think that is absolutely bullshit. However, if this match has burned your fandom into a pile of ashes, here's my advice and my final word. Do yourself a favor, fire up the Peacock stream, and give it another shot. Because sometimes, just sometimes, beauty can come from ashes. What's left to say? These prayers aren't working anymore. Every word shut down in flames. What's left to do with these broken pieces on the floor? I'm losing my voice. Calling it on you Cause I've been shaking I've been bending backwards Till I'm broke Watching all these dreams Go up in smoke Let beauty come out Let beauty 
my 